strive to bring you truth for your transformation. Grab your notepad and pen as we lean into this week's message. So privileged to be here. Um, I send you greetings all the way from a life church in Southeast London. Come on, a life church, Southeast London. That's where God resides. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you may all have your seats today. So God has given me a very, very specific assignment, and I just like to um, ask that for the next few moments that you all lean in and um, really open up your hearts to what God has got to say, because I know, I know, I know. He has something so special for this house. Remember what Pastor Nee said before prayers or after prayers. If you have your Bibles, will you join me in the Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 18, verse 35. It says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, this blind man inquired what exactly this meant. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more saying, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near to him, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The man responded saying, Lord, let me recover my sight. (laughs) And Jesus said to him, recover your sight for it is your faith that has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Remember what Pastor Nee said after prayers. And you see, for the next few moments, I'd like to speak on this idea. A pursuit of desperation. A pursuit of desperation. God laid this message on my heart a few months ago and, and, and he didn't really give me the permission to preach it. He said I should just sit on it. He said that I should just wait, that he's going to give me the right time to preach it. And as soon as Pastor Nee called me to ask if I could speak here, immediately God said, Toby, this is the message. This is the time that I want you to speak on this message. So this is a very, very personal message that's deep on my heart. And I know God specifically wants to speak to some people. I'm believing that in the next few moments, God is about to teach you and I and show you and I how exactly to catch his attention. So if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is A Pursuit of Desperation. And if you want a subhead and the subheading is How to Catch God's Attention. Are we alive? Are we ready? We pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the moments that we get to share together. God, I thank you for this opportunity. It's only by your grace indeed. God, I'm believing and I'm asking, oh God, that for the next few moments, that you will completely speak through me. God, will you fill me up with your words, with the words that are on your heart, oh God. Help me to decrease so that you indeed can increase, oh God. And I'm believing that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Through this message, lives will be touched, lives will be transformed, lives will be restored, and lives will be renewed. For in Jesus' sweet, precious name that we've prayed, and the church says, and the church says, come on, if you love Jesus, why don't you give him one more shout of praise in this place? Come on. Is it okay if I ask you to play 
at a specific time during the end of my sermon, because I might tell some jokes and it'll confuse some people a bit. Um, is there anybody here that you've ever wanted something before? Just by a show of hands, you've ever really, really, really wanted something before. Awesome. So I'm not the only one. Um, I did university in America for four years, and in America, they have this really dumb rule. They have this rule that if you fail any assignment or any subject in your final year, you have to take another year. Like you have to do an extra fifth year or, or at least another six months. So this rule didn't really make sense to me, but I was extremely, extremely desperate to graduate this year. I was not trying to do a fifth year. I was not trying to go again. I'd had enough of university already. I was not trying to keep going. So I was extremely desperate to graduate this year. However, in my final year, I had to take one of the hardest classes literally known to man. And it was a class by the name of statistics. I don't really know if you guys will be familiar with that. I see somebody smiling, maybe you know. Um, but that was literally the hardest class I have ever experienced in my life, statistics. Now, when I at first you know, applied to do this subject, I thought I'd be good at it because I was always kind of good at maths in school. I, like, I would say I was pretty good at maths. You know, In secondary school, I was in set two. And how many of us know that set two were actually the people who are the smartest but were the unserious ones? So we're not in set one, but we're in set two. You, exactly. So I was in set two for maths. I was, I was very good at maths. I just wasn't very serious in school. That's just how it was. I was good at maths. So I went into this statistics class believing that I'd be very good at this. I genuinely thought I'd be very good at this. And literally five lectures into this class, I had already start to, started to think, it looks like I'm doing another year. Because this was the hardest subject I had ever seen in my life. The numbers, the symbols, everything was just extremely confusing to me. It made zero sense. And, and what annoyed me even more was the fact that I was surrounded by a bunch of American kids. And in America, they were used to this class called statistics. In primary school, they did statistics. In secondary school, they did statistics. But in London, we never really did anything like that. We had like unserious classes like food tech. You know, that's what I did in London. So I was, I was, I was absolutely not familiar with this thing. And, and, and I was struggling. I was struggling so much. And um, one day, my lecturer said in class, you know what, everybody? I, I can see that you're struggling. So yeah, we are. And she said, I'm going to give you guys some extra classes if you choose to come to it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Every single Tuesday and Thursdays, my office will be open for extra help with statistics. I didn't want to do this. I don't like extracurriculum work. I didn't want to do this, but I knew I needed to graduate. I was desperate to graduate. So I decided, I made a vow to myself, and I said, Toby, every single Tuesday and Thursday, you are going to go to this extra statistics class. So I did it. I genuinely did it. Every single Tuesday and Thursday without fail, unless something huge came up, I went to the statistics class. I went to the extra lessons. They were like at 5.30 in the evening, finished at 7. So literally I started my day at 7 in the morning, finished at 7 p.m. I decided I needed to graduate, so I'm going to do this. I worked extremely, extremely hard. I was learning as much as I could. Sometimes she wouldn't even be there. I would be there by myself, but I knew I needed, I needed to do this. So I was, I was growing. My statistics knowledge was growing. I was getting better in statistics. I was becoming a lot more confident. So now finals week came. Finals week is obviously when you have all of the final exams for all your subjects. And my exam for statistics came up. I don't know, maybe it was a Thursday. I already know if it was a Thursday, but maybe it was a Thursday. 
my final exam for statistics came up and I was confident. I was like, I've been going to these classes. You know, all I need to pass is a C. I think I can get a C. I've been going to these classes. I'm confident I can do this. The final exam came now. It was because of the pandemic, the exam was online. Sometimes you think you can cheat on online exams, but you couldn't in statistics. You either know it or you don't know it. So you guys looking at me? It's Christians. Um, sometimes, ooh, sometimes you know it, sometimes you don't know it, but the final exam came now and I started it. It was about a 90 minute exam. I started this exam and I was going through it. You know, I was going through it. I felt okay about it. Statistics is kind of the one, you, you don't really know 100% if you've got it right or wrong. You just have to put your answers down and hope for the best. So I was going through it. I was pretty confident. Some of the things that I learned in Tuesday, Thursday classes were there. I was confident. I finished the final exam now and um, Maybe a few days later, like two days later, I went to check my final grade, you know, because I'm expecting to graduate, really want to graduate. I checked my final grade, and um, to my surprise, I failed. Like, I failed. Yeah. Like, I genuinely failed. Like, that was it. You know, I don't know if you're expecting a happy, a happy ending, but I genuinely failed the class. I got a D. I was supposed to get a C. I got a D. So, literally, every single Tuesday and Thursday that I spent for the past 10 weeks was absolutely down the drain and wasted. I got a D and I failed the class. And I started calling my mom, telling all of my friends, you know, looks like I'm going to be here another year. You know, don't, I don't know, do like a celebration for me. Like, don't tell, you know, or no, no, no. You know, African parents, they've already told my family about graduation. So I'm just like, you know, make up some sort of excuse. That's why I'm not graduating. I don't know, like, tell them I'm sick or something, you know, so they don't have to come down. Um, but I failed the class and I was devastated. And I had already accepted that I'm going to do another year. However, plot twist. My lecturer actually sent me an email. And in America, the way it works is if you do, um, when you do every module, your final grade is accumulated of three dif different things. Your exams, your assignments, and then this third thing called class participation. <sighs> Glory. <laughs> <laughs> so with my exams and my assignments, everything accumulated, if it was just those two, I failed. I was on a D, you need a C to pass. I had absolutely failed, no way. I'm passing this. But obviously class participation is, is graded at the end of the year. My lecturer emailed me saying, well, you know, Toby, I know you failed, you know. I know I failed as well, <laughs> like, you don't need to say that. Toby, I know you failed, but I actually saw how hard you worked for this. And I saw how desperately you wanted this. And because of that, I'm gonna actually give you 100% class participation. And that actually raised my grade from a D to a C. Come on, give God glory. Thank you, lady at the back. Give God some glory because we know he's real. That actually raised my grade from a D to a C. And thank goodness I actually passed statistics. Um, but the reason I tell you this story is because a few months back, God said to me, Toby, do you know how to catch my attention? I said, how, God? How? And he said, the way to catch my attention is through a desperate pursuit of me. And he said to me, Toby, I want this to be the message that's on your heart. I want you to go and preach this to people because they need to understand that the way to catch my attention is through a desperate pursuit for me. So then I began to ask God, God, what exactly does a desperate pursuit look like? What does that mean? And he said to me, well, Toby, to put it simply, a desperate pursuit consists of two things. And I hope that these two words pierce your heart the way they pierced mine. He said that it consists of intensity and consistency. 
intensity and consistency. He said, Toby, I don't just want you to be intense, but I want you to be consistent. I don't just want you to be consistent, but I want you to be intense. Because the truth is, one without the other is kind of pointless. You can be intense once in a while. That probably won't do much for you. And you can be consistent but half-hearted. That also probably won't do much for you. But God said the way to catch my attention is through an intense, consistent pursuit of me. The way to catch my attention is through a pursuit of desperation. So my assignment today is extremely simple. God has asked me simply to prove to you all today by the power of the Holy Spirit that to catch God's attention, it takes a desperate pursuit. If you don't believe me now, that's completely okay. But I'm believing by the end of the message, you will. The first person I want to call to the witness stand is a, is a man by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. The man that we just read of in this story. Because I believe that in this story, this man actually displays a desperate pursuit for Christ. And that is what catches his attention. Because I love how intentional the Bible is. Notice how the scripture actually says that Jesus was just passing by. That meant that Jesus had no intentions of stopping. He did not plan on stopping in that place. He did not plan on doing a miracle there. He was just passing by. But it's the moment that this man displays desperation that the Bible then says that Jesus stopped. That that caught Jesus' attention. So let's go through the story. We have this blind man who's sitting by the roadside begging. And he hears so much noise and he starts to ask, what exactly is going on? Where is that noise coming from? What is happening? Someone then says to him, well, well Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now watch how this man first, so, first shows intensity. The Bible says, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This man could have just sat there and said, oh, Jesus is passing by? I hope he sees my situation. Oh, Jesus is passing by. I hope he sees what I'm going through. Oh, Jesus is passing by. I hope he sees that I need help. Some of us were just sitting on our situation saying, God, I hope you see what I'm going through. God, I hope you will help me here. Or, or I hope that God's going to see me in my pain. But I want to persuade somebody right now that God actually wants for you to cry out to him. The Bible says in Psalms 34 verse 17 that the righteous cry out, then the Lord hears them, then the Lord delivers them from their troubles. There is power in crying out to God. Some of us, we need to stop just saying, God, I hope you see me, but start to cry out intensely for God, saying, God, I need your help because there is power in crying out. But what I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't actually stop the first time this man cries out. Which is why I tell you that intensity without consistency is pointless. Because Jesus doesn't actually stop the first time this man cries out. How do I know that? Because the first time this man cries out, the Bible says that the crowd actually rebuked him. Telling him to be silent. Hey, hey, keep quiet. Stop making all that noise here. This man could have had the mentality of, well, I tried once. And he didn't hear me. I cried out his name once and he didn't see me. And now everybody around me is telling me to stop. Everybody around me is telling me there's no point. Everybody around me is telling me to be silent. So I better just sit here and be silent. 
But this man had a mentality that I think you and I need to adopt. This man had a mentality of, I am not leaving this place until I get what I have come here for. I am not going to stop crying out his name until I receive what I need. And this is a mentality that we need to adopt because it's a sign of desperation. This man said, I don't care how annoying people are finding me. I don't care what people have to say about me. I need something from God. So therefore, I will cry out in this place and I will keep crying out until he hears me. I love how the Bible says, and the man cried out all the more. It doesn't say that he cried out again. It says he cried out all the more, meaning that he cried out even more intensely than the first time that he cried out. There is power in crying out to God. And when you don't receive what you want the first time, the Bible says cry out all the more. For he will hear you and he will deliver you. And it's in that moment that the Bible then says that Jesus stopped. It's a desperate pursuit that caught Jesus' attention. The Bible then says that Jesus stopped and Jesus says to this man, hey, come over, come, come. And watch what Jesus says. Jesus says to this man, what do you want? Well, Jesus, you know what he wants. He's a blind man. You can clearly see what he wants. Yes, God knows your situation, but there is power in repeating it to him. There is power in telling God what you want. Yes, he knows what you want, but there is something about telling him what you want. I love how Jesus says to this man, what do you want? This man could have just responded like, oh, well, you're Jesus, you know, whatever you want to give me. Like, I'm, it's just an honor to be here with you, Jesus. Like, you know, whatever you want. Hey, your will be done. Like, whatever you want to do, Jesus, give it to me. But I also want to let you know that there is power in praying specifically. In fact, a sign of desperation is when you pray to God specifically. Jesus said to this man, what do you want? You know what this man said? This man said, Jesus, I'm here to recover my sight. That's exactly what I want. I'm not putting it plainly. I'm not here to just say I want some sort of healing. Jesus, I'm here to recover my sight. I just want to let somebody know that there is power in praying specifically. And as soon as this man says, Jesus, I want to recover my sight. I love the ESV version. The Bible says that Jesus actually repeats the exact same words back to him. Recover your sight. When you pray specifically to God and it is his will, he will repeat your words back to him. That's why we have to be so careful about the words that we say to Jesus. When we cry out to God and we say, God, I want to restore. My, I want my family restored. He says, your family is restored. Cry out to God and say, God, I want healing. He says, have healing. Cry out to God and you say, God, I want my friends to know you. He says, your friends will know me. There is power in praying specifically. I just want to prove to you guys today that what catches God's attention is a pursuit of desperation. If you don't believe me yet, that's completely fine. I'd now like to call to the stand my second witness. <laughs> a man by the name of Hezekiah. In the book of 2 Kings, we're introduced to the king of Judah. His name is King Hezekiah. Now, at this point in time, Israel had fallen. The Assyrian Empire had, had completely taken them out. And now the Assyrian Empire wanted to take out Judah. However, God is with Judah. Why is he with the nation of Judah? Because their king, Hezekiah, was a very godly king. He was a king who obeyed God. 
In fact, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5 and 6, that Hezekiah actually obeyed God and he never departed from following his ways, consistency. So as you can see, Hezekiah is a very, very godly king. One of the most godly kings that we see throughout scripture. One of the most obedient kings that we see throughout scripture. But things kind of go bad for Hezekiah. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we learn that Hezekiah actually falls extremely ill. He falls extremely ill. He gets this sickness just out of nowhere. And, 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 and like it didn't come because of old age. You know, we believe around this point in time, Hezekiah is maybe about 39 years old. So it was an old age. This sickness just kind of comes out of nowhere. So you can only imagine the stress that this man must have been under. First and foremost, he's a king of a nation. Secondly, he has the Assyrian Empire literally trying to destroy his nation. And now to make things even worse, he has this very, very bad sickness. Then in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 2, the Bible says that the prophet Isaiah came to him, saying to him, I have a word from the Lord. I just imagine Hezekiah must have been like, oh, thank God. What I need in this moment is a word from God because I'm tired, I'm stressed out, things are going bad. What I need in this moment is a word from the Lord. And Isaiah's like, well, um, so here's the word of the Lord. I don't really know how to put this in a good way but um to put it kind of plain this is what the lord says he says get your house in order hezekiah hezekiah is probably like get my house in order like what do you mean as i was like yeah get your house in order because the lord actually says that this sickness that you have you're actually not going to recover and you're actually going to die I can only imagine the confusion on Hezekiah's face. I can only imagine the pain that Hezekiah must have felt. I can only imagine how, how, how let down he must have felt by God. Why? Because you have to remember that this is the Old Testament. Therefore, everybody here is under the Old Testament law. So, so for Hezekiah to receive such a weighty death sentence, it must mean that in his life he's done some extremely wrong things. Because the old covenant, God promises all of his people that follow his command that he will give them long life. And that all the sicknesses and illnesses that killed the people of Egypt will not touch his people. But Hezekiah knew that he had followed God's commands. Hezekiah knew that all his life he obeyed God. So you can only imagine how hurt this man must have been by this news. That God himself is saying that he will not recover from this sickness and he will die. But I want us to look at Hezekiah's response because what did I say? What catches God's attention is a pursuit of desperation. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 2 and 3, it says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness. Please remember how I've been consistent and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. The Bible says Hezekiah wept bitterly. Sometimes you need to tell God about the things that you've done. Not necessarily because he needs to remember, but because you need to remember. Sometimes you need to tell God about how you've been faithful so you can keep being faithful. Sometimes you need to tell God about how you've been serving so you can keep serving him. Sometimes you need to tell God about how you've been pursuing him so you can continue to, pursuing, to, to pursue him. But I want us to look at this man's 
I like I actually want us to picture this man's response because I want to let you know something very, very, very important right now. A true desperate pursuit for God will have you looking crazy in the eyes of other people. I'm going to say that again because I don't think some people like that. A true desperate pursuit for God will have you looking crazy in front of other people. I just imagine Hezekiah, he's the king of Judah. This is a man that, that needs to be composed. This is a man that, that people are looking towards for strength. This is a man that people see him and they're like, that's my king. Now, I just imagine that when Hezekiah receives this news, he may be in a room filled with people. But the Bible says that as soon as he gets this news, this man literally faces the wall and cries to God and weeps bitterly. Do you know how crazy he must have looked? Like, imagine I'm literally like, Jesus, God, you know I've been faithful all my life, God. You know what I've been doing for you all my life, God. You know I've been pursuing you all my life, God. Jesus! This man would have looked so crazy in front of people. But there is something about desperately pursuing God. <laughs> Get serious, guys. There's something about desperately pursuing God that holds so much power. Because in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5, the Bible then says that God actually says to Isaiah again, Isaiah, I want you to turn around. Isaiah's probably like, turn around, like, why I was just there I don't want to go back into that awkward situation like God why do you want me to turn around God says no 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 Isaiah turn around because I actually want you to go and say these words to Hezekiah tell Hezekiah that I have heard his prayers and I have seen his tears therefore behold I will heal you I just want to let somebody know that there is power in desperately pursuing God because what God basically said is that, tell Hezekiah that I have seen his desperation and therefore I will respond to his desperation. God says, tell Hezekiah I have seen how much he has cried out for me and pursued me on this matter and therefore I will respond with what he wants. What catches God's attention is a pursuit of desperation. You still don't believe me? Okay. I now call to the stand my third witness, a woman by the name of Hannah. Yeah. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. Elkanah was married to another woman called Penina. So he had two wives, Hannah, Penina, Elkanah. They all rhyme. However, Penina had many children. Yet Hannah actually had no children. This wasn't because she didn't want children. It's not because she just decided, you know, I want to be independent. No, no, no. It's because Hannah was physically incapable of having children. Now, I don't want us to look at this with the lenses of our culture, but I want us to look at this with the lens of their culture. Because in those days, it was a huge thing if a woman couldn't have a child. As in a woman will literally be berated, she will be abused, she will be belittled if she couldn't have a child. 
In fact, people would even go so extreme to even say that this woman must have done some extremely wrong things in her life because she's cursed by God. That's how serious it was if you, didn't, if you couldn't have a child in those days. And the Bible says that Penina, who the Bible actually describes as Hannah's rival, the Bible says that Penina actually used to insult Hannah about her situation. And I don't want you to think it was some sort of like petty, small remarks like, ha you kind of a kid. No, the Bible literally says that Penina would grievously insult Hannah. Grievously insult Hannah just to irritate her. You can only imagine the pain that this woman must have been feeling. And I don't want you to think that this, these insults were once in a while. The Bible says that year by year, every time that Hannah would go up to God and pray about her situation, Penina would insult her. Can you imagine that? Every time you go to God to pray about your situation, there is another voice in your ear telling you that God will never save your situation. There is another voice in your ear that, saying that this will never be done. There's another voice in your ear that is mocking you for what you are going through. And to make things even worse, your situation isn't changing. Imagine the faith you, you would have lost. The pain you would have felt. This woman was in, was in so much pain that she literally stopped eating. She didn't just call a fast. She, the Bible says that she was in so much pain that she literally could not eat anymore. Her husband came up to her one day and said, Hannah, what's wrong? You're always crying. You don't, you don't eat anymore. Hannah, what's wrong? Is it, is it because of what Penina says to you? Don't you know that I love you so much? Is it just because you, haven't, you don't have kids? Shut up, Elkanah. He didn't understand what she was going through. He didn't understand the pain that was in her heart. The Bible then says that one day, Hannah actually got up and went to the temple. And I love this line. It inspires me so much. I believe it's in 1 Samuel chapter, where is it? 1 Samuel chapter 10. The Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 10. The Bible says that Hannah actually literally went up to the temple. And even though she was deeply distressed, she prayed to God and she wept bitterly. There's those words again. The same words that was used for Hezekiah, she wept bitterly. But I want us to focus on that word, deeply distressed. Have you ever prayed a prayer from a broken heart? Hannah went up to God and, and prayed a prayer from a, from a broken heart. I want to encourage anybody that's in here, if you have a broken heart right now, the Bible says in Psalm 34 verse 18 that the Lord is actually close. He's near to the brokenhearted and he saves the one that is crushed in spirit. Hannah prayed a prayer from a place of brokenness. But what inspires me so much about this verse is the fact that at the moment where Hannah was deeply distressed, her action was to pursue God. Do you know how crazy that is to think about? Because it's easy to pursue God when things are okay. It's also kind of easy to pursue God when things kind of go wrong. But this woman was at a place of 
pure brokenness, a place of absolute pain. Yet in that moment, she chooses to desperately pursue God. It's a hard posture that we all have to take up. This reminds me of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. You know, some scholars literally believe that this moment right here was Jesus' most painful moment alongside the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible said that he literally sweat tears like blood. That's how much pain he was in. And in that moment, he cried out to God saying, God, if there is any other way, God, if you can take this cup away from me, God, if there is anything else that we can do to save your people, please let's do it that way. But if not, your will above my will, God. You can blame. But what inspires me so much about that story is that in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, the Bible actually says that even in Jesus' agony, he prayed more earnestly. Even in Jesus' agony, he prayed more. Do you know the meaning of that word agony? It's when you're in a, a place of intense, prolonged pain. Mental and physical pain. Yet the Bible says even in that state, he prayed even more intensely. This is exactly how Hannah was. Because Hannah was in a place of deep pain. Deep desperation. Yet the Bible says in that moment, she pursued God more desperately. The Bible says that this woman literally went up to the temple and she cried out to God that even the priest, the priest in the temple, his name was Eli. He actually looked over at Hannah and said, Hannah, put down the wine. Put down the Hennessy, Hannah. Because this man literally thought that she was drunk. I just want to tell somebody that a desperate pursuit for God will have you looking crazy in front of people. This man literally thought that Hannah was drunk. But Hannah had gotten to a place where she did not care about what people thought about her. She was so desperate, she did not care what people had to say about her. She wasn't trying to pray no cute prayers. I want to let you know something. Desperation does not look cute. When you're desperate, you don't have all the right words. When you're desperate, you don't look good. But when you want the presence of God to manifest in your life so clearly, you don't care about what people have to say about you. You don't care about what people think about you because they don't know what I'm going through. They don't know the pain that I'm in. They don't know what I need from God. They don't know how desperate I am. And it's my desperation that will catch his attention. So I don't care what people have to say about me. Eli said to her, woman, stop drinking. You know what Hannah responded back? You know what Hannah said back? 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 50. Hannah says, 
No, sir. I'm not drunk. Or I haven't been drinking. I'm just pouring out my soul to the Lord. I'm just pouring out my soul to the Lord. There is a connection about with pouring out your soul to God and the world thinking that you look crazy. My Bible says that God will use the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. It's the wise that will tell you you're doing too much. It's the wise that will tell you it don't take all that. It's the wise that will tell you you don't need to cry that hard. It's the wise that will tell you you don't need to pursue him that desperately. But what they don't understand is that I have a need. What they don't understand is that I, I have a desire for God to show up in my life. And I must pursue him desperately. The Bible then says, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 18, that after Hannah had finished crying out to the Lord, the Bible said that she got up and she ate and she was no longer sad. The way you know that you've truly desperately cried out for God is when you leave your prayer time with no burdens. Hannah's situation didn't change. She didn't have a kid in that moment. But what changed was her perspective. Your situation may not change. But when you desperately pursue God, what will change is your perspective. And the Bible says that in that moment she got up and she was no longer sad. Why? Because this woman knew that she had just desperately pursued God. And God responds when you desperately pursue him. The Bible then says that in due time, Hannah gave birth. All I've wanted to do today, the only assignment God has given me is to simply prove to you all that what catches his attention is a pursuit of desperation. And I'll close with this final thought. There's a reason as to why God wants his people to pursue him so desperately. There's a reason why God wants his people to pursue him so desperately. And it's because of this simple fact. Because he desperately pursued you and I. And all God wants is for our pursuit for him to match his pursuit for us. I call to the stand my final witness, a man by the name of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God for the nation of Israel. The thing about God, if you read throughout the Old Testament, God used to give different prophets different kind of assignments and they didn't just speak their prophecies, but they literally lived out their prophecies. But I'd like to go on and say that Hosea actually had the most peculiar, audacious, and honestly embarrassing assignment of them all. God says to Hosea, Hosea, here's your assignment. Hosea's like, what is it? God says, I want you to go and marry 
a prostitute. I believe that it's actually through the life of Hosea that God actually displays his desperate pursuit for mankind. God says, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. God doesn't really give much reason as to why in Hosea chapter 1, but he just says, go do it. So Hosea goes and marries this prostitute by the name of Gomer. Hosea marries this prostitute by the name of Gomer. Things seem to be going okay. They have three children. Things seem to be going okay. And then one day, Hosea wakes up and he sees that his wife is nowhere to be found. I just imagine that this man goes around the house and he, and he looks for his wife. Maybe he checks the living room, she's not there. Checks the kids' room, she's not there. Checks the kitchen, she's not there. Gomer is nowhere to be found. Quick side note, Gomer had gone back into the business of sex slave. She'd gone back into prostitution. You can only imagine how embarrassed Hosea must have been. This man is one of the most famous men in all of Israel. He's meant to be a beacon of hope for Israel. Yet he can't even keep his wife. The, embarrass the embarrassment would be real. And then one day, God says to Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go back and find your wife and bring her home. Remember, this woman went back into prostitution. I can only imagine the places that Hosea must have had to go to. Remember, this is a man of God. I can only imagine this man probably had to go into different brothels to find his wife. I can only imagine he goes to people and says, hey, have you seen my wife? <laughs> One guy responds saying, oh, that was your wife? Damn, bro, I was with her, was with her last week, bro. She didn't tell me she was your wife, bro. She went acting like your wife, I'll tell you that. This is one of the most famous men in all of Israel. <laughs> this is a man that people look towards and they're like, God is with him. <laughs> you can only imagine the embarrassment. You know, if you read Hosea chapter 3, people actually, scholars actually believe that Hosea actually walked in on his wife being auctioned. Imagine that. Hosea walks into the auction place and he's like to everyone, hey, I'm here to, to take back my wife. I'm, I'm here to bring back my wife. I just imagine the person in charge of the auction is like, I don't care if that's your wife. There's a price that you have to pay to bring her back. You know what Hosea says? He says, what's the price? I'll pay it. Hold on a minute, Hosea. She belongs to you. This is your wife, Hosea. My Bible says in Psalms 24 verse 1 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Meaning that everything on earth belongs to God. Meaning that you and I belong to God. Yet he sent his son to pay a price for something that was already his. Don't you see his desperate pursuit for mankind? Don't you see how desperate he is for relationship with you and I? Don't you see how much he wants you? 
if you haven't realized yet. I love that. In this story, Hosea was a representation of God and Goma is you and I. What I love about this story is that, you know what Hosea's name actually means? It means salvation. You know what Goma's name means? It means completion. Goma was never complete until she was with Hosea. The same way you and I will never ever be complete until we understand salvation. Until we understand how desperately he pursued us. You and I can never truly desperately pursue God until we understand how desperately he pursued us. So with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to speak to a specific group of people right now. Or it may even just be one person right now. You've never truly understood how desperately God wants you. You've never truly understood how much he desires relationship with you. You've never truly understood how much he did just so he can have a connection with you. Maybe today is the day that you actually understand that God truly does desperately love me. Because his pursuit of desperation comes out of a complete, perfect place of love. A complete, perfect place of love for you. And if there is anybody here right now that you now understand how desperately he wants you. And you want to make that true, honest decision to say back to him, God, I also want you. And God, I also want to desperately pursue you. God, I also want relationship with you. If there is anybody in the building that feels that way today and you want to make that decision, I'd like to ask you to do something extremely brave, but there is power in symbolizing on the outside what's in the inside. So if that's you today and you want to make that decision, I'd just like for you to just raise your hand. If you're online as well, I'd like for you to just raise your hand. It doesn't have to be too high, but just raise your hand just to signify to God that God, today is the day that I am choosing relationship with you. And today is the day that I choose to desperately pursue you. If that's you, will you just raise your hand just to show him that he sees you. He sees you. He sees all of you. And he's so proud of you for taking this moment to signify to him how much you want him. And if this you today and you genuinely believe that, I'd like for you to just say this prayer in your heart. You can just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you because you clearly desperately pursued me. God, I acknowledge that I was once lost. But I now believe in accepting relationship with you, I am now found. Jesus, I completely surrender my life to you. And from today onwards, I choose to desperately pursue you. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Church, I'd just like for us to just celebrate those people today. Let them know that they have truly been accepted into the kingdom of heaven. Let's celebrate them. For in heaven, when one person gives their life to Christ, the angels celebrate. So let's celebrate them today. Um, I'm not actually aware about how the protocol in Panim City works on that, but I'm sure that you could just meet with some leaders. If you did make that decision, I'm sure you could just meet with some leaders and they will love to catch up with you. I'd like to just ask everybody to rise in this moment now. I'd like us all to now pray for a few minutes. This prayer, it may sound simple, but it is extremely effective. I'd like us to pray this prayer. Father God, will you give me a heart of desperation for you? Or if you don't feel like you relate in that category, will you then pray the prayer, Father God, will you renew my heart of desperation for you? And if you don't feel like you fall into that category, will you then pray the prayer, Father God, will you grow my heart of desperation for you? Because you can never ever be too desperate for God. So I'd like for this For in these next few moments, if the band could also help me and pray, I'd like for us to truly intensely cry out to God and ask God to give us the heart of desperation. Ask God to truly give us a heart that will desperately pursue him. Come on, if that is your heart's cry today, will you cry out to God and ask God, God, will you give me a heart that will truly desperately pursue you? forever and all my days even when the enemy tries to bring me down even when the enemy tries to stop me God will you give me a heart that desperately pursues you regardless of my situation regardless of my circumstances regardless of what I'm going through Father God will you give me a heart that desperately pursues you for I know that it is a desperate pursuit of you that will catch your attention so Father God will you give me a heart that desperately pursues you oh God and God God, will you allow me to see the fruits of my desperation? God, will you allow me to see the fruits of my desperate pursuit for you? Come on, come on. Cry out to him from a place of desperation. Just for the next few minutes, cry out to him from a place of desperation. God, I want more of you. God, I want more of you. God, never allow me to be content. God, never allow me to be content. God, I want more. God, may I be more desperate for you, oh God. I want to be more desperate for you. I want to be more desperate for you. Father God, give me a true spirit and heart of desperation. And Father God, we thank you so much for this moment. Father God, we thank you so much for this time that we have spent with you. God, we thank you because we believe that today you have spoken. God, we thank you because we believe that today you have spoken. And Father God, I pray and I'm believing. In fact, God, I thank you because every single person who came here one way, they are not leaving the same way. 
but they are leaving with a transformed heart. They are leaving with a renewed heart. And Father God, we thank you for this because it is only by your grace. It is only by your power. God, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray, oh God, that you continue forever and all their days. Give them a heart of desperation for you, oh God. God, every single day that we make up, wake up, God, make us want more of you, oh God. Make us hunger for you more than we did yesterday. God, make us hunger for you more than we did yesterday, oh God. God, may we be so desperate for you, oh God. God, and may we please, oh God, see the fruits of our desperation. For we know that you respond to a desperate heart. So God, any person here that has a burden, oh God, any person here that has a situation, oh God, Father God, through their desperate pursuit, will you respond to that in the name of Jesus, oh God. God, we are believing that you are going to do some miracles in some people's lives today, oh God. God, we're believing that you're going to do a new thing in some people's lives today, oh God. God, we're believing that you're going to open some doors that people thought were shut today in their lives, oh God. Father God, I thank you so much for this house. God, I thank you for the assignment that you have bestowed upon this house. Father God, I pray, oh God, and I'm believing, oh God, that Penim City will complete everything that you have called it to in the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray right now, any plan of the enemy to come against this house will not prosper in the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray, oh God, that you will continue to cover this house in the name of Jesus. God, continue to bless this house in the name of Jesus. God, they shall see the fruits of their labours in the name of Jesus. God, the heart's desires that's on the lead pastor of this house. Father God, will you fulfill them according to your will in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for every member of this house in the name of Jesus, God. They will never lose sight of you in Jesus' name. God, they will never lose sight of you in Jesus' name. God, they will never lose sight of you in Jesus' name. God, they will grow in str stronger in the spirit in Jesus' name. God, this will not be a house that is weak, but this shall be a strong house in the name of Jesus. And God, I'm believing and I'm declaring right now that this house will not fall. God, this house will not fall. God, this house will not fall. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you have done today. And God, at the end of all of this, you alone deserve all the praise, all the adoration and all the honor. For you are so worthy. And it's in Jesus' sweet, precious name that we pray. And the church said... Come on, Penny City, give God one more shower.